Good morning again, and welcome for the folks we haven't seen for the first time. So welcome, Tracy, Lee, good to see you. Just nice to see you. Nice you could be here. And it's good to see you too, <laughs> those of you who've been here before. Um, we are exploring the, um, what we're calling the engaged Buddhist precepts, uh, guidelines for living a fully realized human life. Not commandments, not rules, but suggestions that have only worked for over 2,600 years. So they carry a little bit of weight with them. Today, I would like to call our attention to the seventh of these engaged Buddhist precepts, by the way, which have been formulated by uh, a Vietnamese Zen master, Thich Nhat Hanh, who recently passed away. Uh, and he was very, um, he was quite committed to, uh, to the everyday life of our practice, how our practice impacted our daily life, our daily decisions, our daily activities. And this is the seventh of those uh, precepts, and it reads as follows. Do not lose yourself in dispersion and in your surroundings. Practice mindful breathing to come back to what is happening in the present moment. Be in touch with what is wondrous, refreshing and healing, both inside and around you. Plant seeds of joy, peace and understanding in yourself in order to facilitate the work of transformation in the depths of your consciousness. Do not lose yourself in dispersion. I am giving this admonition the name of busyness. I am suggesting that what is meant by dispersion, at least in our contemporary life, is the incredible number of activities, commitments that we take upon oneself, take upon ourselves because everybody is stressed. And last week, Taishin was talking about getting it together. Right? Uh, that there are times when you wake up in the morning and you say, I'm gonna get it together today. <laughs> but dispersion, suddenly things fragment. 
Um, that's just too much. I, I hear people constantly saying, I'm overwhelmed. Uh, I can't get things together because there are just too many things. How does this happen? How does it happen that um, it's almost like a geometric progression? Uh, you, you go on a hike with somebody. I have a, a, an appointment to go on a hike with somebody and someone else comes along and that person talks about the bird club. And oh, okay, I'm gonna to go to the bird club. And at the bird club, uh, you learn that um, there's a class online <laughs> that you can take. And you, you begin to spread yourself thin. So you have to go to the gym, you have to uh, do some studying, you have your job, you have the laundry, <laughs> you, have, you have these uh, clubs that you belong to, friends you have to see, family obligations, uh, hobbies. Um, they just begin to proliferate. And before you know it, uh, you just can't get it all together. And there is a sense of I'm losing control. Uh, I hear so many people, and of course, on that to-do list, maybe is taking 20 minutes to sit. <laughs> just, but it's usually that's at the bottom of the list because there's no deadline, there's no, you don't, you don't get brownie points for sitting. You don't, you don't, you don't get to brag about your accomplishment. Uh, it's, you know, just have a cup of tea, sit, or just not do anything. Maybe not even have the cup of tea, just, just sit down and open your eyes and ears and your, your nose and just be there. That's, Maybe, maybe that's on the to-do list, but unlikely because there are so many other things. So stopping is not, not a, a, an option uh, because there's just too many things to kind of get together. It used to be that a sign of status and success and worthiness um, was leisure. That the successful person, the person who had achieved what was needed in life, just had, had the leisure to take a walk, to just sit and read a book, to just have this kind of free time. That was that was a sign of a sign of success, a successful life. And, and today we think about the rich having all have this leisure time because all their fundamental needs have been met. So you know, they're just free. That used to be the case, but today the mark of a successful person is how busy you are, right? If I have just, 
I had so many things to do. Like uh, I, my calendar is completely full. My voicemail is, is you can't get on my voicemail, uh, right? Um, everything is full. And that means I am, I'm full. I, I am, I am uh, a worthy, successful, popular person because I'm busy all the time. But what happens with this busyness that kind of, um, because it is a cultural value now to be busy, however painful it is, we, we're still driving toward it. Uh, um, what happens often is, as Thich Nhat Hanh suggests, is we lose ourselves. Um, ironically, because we're trying to build ourselves, we're trying to accumulate, to make ourselves really feel big and important and popular. And we, we begin accumulating all this stuff. And in the process, where we get lost, like we we get up in the morning and like where am I? I can't hold it together, you know. And what we can't hold together is this: we just fragment into this incredible uh, explosions of activity. So as Buddhist practitioners, we like to dig a little deep, more deeply into these observations because they do this busyness, though we think it's going to help us, actually makes us suffer. It's, it's, it creates a suffering in part because we are not designed to to take on, to give our attention to that many things. Today we have, a, we have a, a disorder called attention deficit disorder. It's supposed to be a disorder. I think it's healthy to have a, an attention deficit. We're just, we're, we don't, we have a limited amount of attention. We're biological creatures, right? <laughs> um, and we're not machines. We don't have an unlimited capacity for processing information and activity. So yes, we cannot give our attention to that many things. It's, it becomes stressful and we suffer because of it, because we have the pressure to give our attention to all of this. So what is it that drives this desire to be so busy and to actually create suffering for ourselves? One Tibetan guru, Trungpa, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, speculated that the reason we are so busy and running around achieving, accomplishing and accumulating 
activities and um, achievements and roles and um, you know everything on our on our resume that we're we're developing. And the longer the resume, the more important we are. Um, he says that what is driving this desire or busyness is fear. And he calls it fear of space. Interesting, isn't it? Fear of space. Is that kind of like intuitively? Yeah. What if there's space? <laughs> you know, there's a spaciousness. Oh, we gotta fill it up. We, we gotta fill it. There's, there's this, you could go for going for a walk with a friend or anyone. Silence is a kind of space. Uh, you gotta feel it, you gotta start talking. Yeah. I'm just afraid of that openness, that spaciousness. And what is it that that spaciousness brings us? It brings us into the reality of who we are, which is empty. We are space. We are groundless. We do not have that substantive separate self that we all want to create, that we construct. It's this building that we construct with all our busyness. This is who I am. I'm a person who goes to the gym. I'm a person who belongs to this club. I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. I'm a wife. I'm a, I've got all these things and I keep making, trying to accumulate these things and being busy so I don't have to face the fact that I'm none of these things. <laughs> Fundamentally, I am empty of separate. I'm empty. I'm not any of this stuff. So our busyness is this endless, futile effort to make something real that isn't real. And that's why we can never stop doing it. Because everything that we try to grab onto falls apart. Do we stop doing that and just connect with the fact that, you know, we're none of this stuff, that we are fundamentally space, spaciousness? No, we don't face that because that's too scary. So instead, we just keep adding more of these things. <laughs> you know, this is really stupid. But we're, you know, Buddha would say not that it's stupid, like I'm saying. He would say that's a function of ignorance, that we're really ignorant about who we are unless we do these unskillful things and we make ourselves suffer. So this is a futile effort. And of course, futile efforts exhaust us. <laughs> of course, most of us are exhausted. We're, we're just, oh, 
I'm tired. I just too much. I can't face the day. You know, it's just overwhelming. But we can't seem to stop. This fear is, is too great. How many times have you heard people say, you're in the middle of something. I got to run. I got to run. Where, where, are they, where, where are we running? Where are we running to? And what, what are we running from? But this is it's running, 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 running. Like iner it's an inertia, you know, habit energy. Just I got to keep going. Until maybe we crash or we find some other way to completely shut down, to escape it all. What would happen if we stopped? And I like to think about um, letting it all fall away. Let all the, call them the post-its, all the things that we've accumulated, we just let it fall. Like we built up these twin towers, right? They're impregnable. We, this is who we are and this is what we're doing and this is who we think we are. And those twin towers are just gonna stay up there. They are invincible, but they're not. They were obviously, the your twin towers are gonna to fall because they're built on sand. They're basically empty. They can't stand all this stuff that you've built up, uh, that who you think you are and who you're practicing being, they're gonna fall. And Buddha's enlightenment, which is, this is, this is a moment of enlightenment, of awakening as fearful as one it may seem, when you stop and let all this fall away, sometimes we call it in Zen, the falling away of body and mind, of it, just let it fall. This is a moment of awakening, as frightening as it may seem. And this is what Buddha said at age 35, when he crossed his legs in the city of Bodh Gaya and had a moment of awakening when he saw the morning stars. And he said, seeking but not finding the house builder, I hurried through the round of many births. Painful is birth ever and again. Yes, I like to refer to this countless births as busyness. <laughs> countless births. I'm doing this now and I'm doing this now. Oh, house builder, you have been seen. You shall not build this house again. Your rafters have been broken up. Your ridgepole is demolished too. My mind has now attained the unformed liberation 
and reach the end of every sort of craving. So what has happened to Buddha in his moment of awakening? His house fell down. <laughs> this house of self that he's built. Yeah, maybe for us, you know, it's not just the, the hermitage, the you know, little, little hut. It's like this McMansion you know, of all these different, uh, you know, uh, uh, additions to, to our house, little turrets and, and uh, uh, other protuberances that, that create this McMansion. He says, the rafters have been broken up. The ridgepole is demolished. So rafters, when he's talking about the roof, he doesn't say the foundation has crumbled. He says, everything that has protected me, everything that I think is, is my roof, this house has fallen down. And what is left? Not a void, but as uh, another haiku um, master said, my barn having burned, I can now see the moon. My barn having burned, I can now see the moon. So when all of this dizziness, this fragmentation of attention is released, when it all falls away, oh, wow, <laughs> I can really, I can see someone. The other day, I must say, uh, I went for a hike with a friend and we usually hug. I, you know, I like to hug, um, <laughs> a hug afterwards. And she said, Mado, would, when we leave, and after we hug, would you please look at me? And I thought, oh, I haven't, I haven't really looked at her because I'm running. You know, we've had the hike and I'll, I'm into the next thing. But she gave me a great teaching. She said, after we hug, could, could you please look at me? <laughs> wow, okay. Mado got a teaching at that moment. So what we are missing in all this busyness, what we deprive ourselves of, is what I'm going to call wonder. Wonder. Really seeing, really tasting, really touching, giving our attention to something one hundred percent. How often do we give our attention one hundred percent to something? This is always, I'm I'm already running to the next to the next thing, right? So I want to give you a couple of examples. There's another uh, guru type theosophist. Um, some of you may have heard of him, Krishnamurti. 
He said, calling our attention to the wonder of, every, of our everyday life that we miss. He said, do this experiment. Take a rock, any, any rock, just pick up a rock. Put it on a table or on a mantle, a little, little pedestal. Just take a rock and put it on a place where you have to pass it every day, maybe multiple times a day. He said, when you do that for a, a, a significant period of time and you're passing this rock and you're, you're just looking at it, he said, eventually that rock will become sacred. That you will feel. Oh, you don't think so? Huh? No, I do. Okay. I agree. <laughs> Try it. I, no, 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 I disagree. <laughs> that that whatever that is, right? As, and he, he's taking you know something that we would never even give a second thought to. You know, it's an ordinary rock. Put it up there. And if you pass it every day, and you you take account of it you will suddenly feel that in a kind of, you will be honoring it. You will be maybe not worshiping it, but you will feel a sense of sacredness about that. And I'm glad Ramon is here because I'm gonna use that example you gave me, Ramon. Ramon talked about uh, his sitting group and he has a sitting group in, oh, he lives in Switzerland, but he has an online sitting group. And he said, one of the things that he decided to do, you know, we have a Han that we, we strike before sitting. And he said, well, he didn't have a Han, but he decided to use a cutting board. <laughs> a cutting board that he, he sliced onions on and garlic and, carrots. Um, he decided to use that as a Han. And he, you know, was hitting it. I'll have to ask him what he hit it with. Was maybe a carrot? <laughs> but um, he said, after a while, that cutting board became a sacred object. And as a matter of fact, as he went about his daily life, every time he saw a cutting board of any kind, <laughs> it became something of wonder. You know, it was like, whoa, it had a new meaning, a new significance to him. So there it is. You know, you, you just pay attention to something in a certain way. And um, I know that uh, Michelle isn't here, uh, and by the way, contribute to uh, the fundraising of the, of the local radio station, uh, um, the public radio is what she's doing today. Um, she has her special slippers. These are only used for meditation practice. They're just a pair of ordinary slippers. And I suspect that each of you has some ordinary object 
Maybe it's a mug that nobody else can touch. That, and you don't want to see it mishandled in any way. It may be, it, 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 it's just something very ordinary that has suddenly become, for some reason or other, because you've paid attention to it in a certain way, it has become a kind of sacred object. Buddha symbolized what I like to call, <laughs> this is a kind of funny word, sacralization. <laughs> sacralizing our lives, making sacred what was ordinary. This is a miniature version of Buddha's robe. And Buddha took discarded materials, actually um, uh, defiled materials, like um, menstrual cloth that was discarded, funeral cloth that was wrapped around, was shrouding a corpse. Uh, he took um, he says, cloth chewed by an ox, uh, cloth that was trashed, uh, soiled um, in various ways. And he sewed those pieces together to make a sacred garment. That is exactly what we are doing in our practice. Is Joshu was asked, what is the way? The way is your ordinary mind. And sometimes it was added, but two inches off the ground. So it's it's our ordinary life. There's nothing, there's nothing mystical. It's about cutting boards. It's about mugs. It's about discarded materials. It's about the moon. At the end of this precept, Thich Nhat Hanh says, plant seeds of joy, peace, and understanding in yourself in order to facilitate the work of transformation in the depths of your consciousness. In the depths of your consciousness. This practice is not another distraction. That is what is called spiritual materialism it's it's not really just another thing on your to-do list just another thing that you get to say i'm a buddhist i practice zen i have a rock suit i have transmission that's just another one of those activities, hobbies, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. It's not transformation in the depths of your consciousness. Our practice is not superficial. It's not just another distraction, another, another activity. 
it's a mistake to regard it in that way. And it is a way of demeaning this practice, this spiritual practice. It is a transformation in the depths of your consciousness. It is a transformation of the way you live your life in a very, very deep sense. And if it is regarded as a, another one of these things that you plaster onto yourself and then go and say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a Buddhist, I've practiced this and that. I know all of this about Buddhism. You are missing something profound. You are degrading the practice. This is transforming our very being, revealing the wonder, the wonder of our true nature. And unless, sometimes unless we practice Zazen, stop, let it all fall away, we will not be able to see the wonder of who we really are. We've got to stop. We have to be fearless, not be afraid of getting rid of all that other distraction and dispersion. Got to stop and then maybe we can see the moon. <laughs> maybe we can see this, the wonder of this being. So thank you for stopping with me, <laughs> at least for a little while. Yeah.